again with this. Yeah, <laughs> this podcast, we record it every week. It's quite amazing. What your voice can do for you. Yo, what's up? Hoss Boys coming at you. My name is Parker. On my left, I got Mike. What's up? And on my right, I got Max. Hello. Guys, before we get into anything, there is a question that we have been tiptoeing around for a few weeks now. Uh, it's a pretty important question that we just kind of haven't touched on yet and just wanted to breach that before we get anything started, which is if your favorite driver or team principal or team engineer or whatever it is was a food, what food would he be? What is Gunter? Uh, Stromboli or... Uh... Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking that too for him. <laughs> You guys are are one page We are locked down, Mike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) What did you think, Mike? Uh, I don't know. It's it's a good question. Yeah. I mean, mean, it's Daniel Ricardo, just like a Austin, Texas barbecue meal. Like, I know he's from Australia, but it just... It seems like it would be like a meat pie, but with pulled meats. Dude, that's Mm, funny because I thought corn dog. That's more of a, I feel like a Lando food. Like, what do you feed (laughs) an 11-year-old? Something microwavable, <laughs> but yeah. a little bit fancy, like a like a so Totino's pizza rolls. Yeah. <laughs> Lando's like a pizza roll from Trader Joe's. Yeah, like the, like no, the French bougie, equi- the French yeah, equivalent of go. Trader Joe's because he's like the young guy who's still a kid that loves chicken nuggets, but also has millions <laughs> of dollars in the bank. Amazing. Yeah, in my opinion, I was thinking about Otmar Schaffenauer and that he would be a Twinkie <laughs> or, or like a or like a warmed up Fig Newton. Okay. Oh, oh. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever tried that. To be clear, he's still on thin ice, but we oh. do we do have some heart still for Otmar. Yeah. Um. I don't know if you guys found Mike dug up a picture of Otmar in the Alpine slanket. Yeah. If you haven't seen that, that's on the Instagram, and so he is on the mind. Yeah, we'll definitely. It's on the YouTube, right? Yeah, and, and you yeah. know what? We have a YouTube channel. It's going on Instagram now that you said it. Because we need it on there. Yeah. He needs to know where we stand. He needs to know what dirt we have. Talking about other drivers that we like as a food. Yeah. Kevin Magnuson, Captain of the Sea, Fish and Chips, or a bowl of clam chowder. What do they eat on the sea in Uh, Scandinavia? Both of them are piping hot. That's all I know. Like He Mm -hmm. likes it a little warmer than I do. Yeah. I'm thinking of just like a great fish meal. Yeah. That seems like fish dinners. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably surströming. Is it the fermented (laughs) fish in the can? Yeah. Because he's strong. You know, he's strong Strong. and (laughs) a little fishy. (laughs) It's funny. Uh, It's so interesting to hear you guys' responses and just and just see that we're all totally on the same page. Yeah, yeah constant. Amazing. Always, amazing. Any, uh, any last ones? <clears throat> you know, Mick, I feel like Mick would have to oh, be... Oh, Mick is like a German pastry. Yeah, like a good, like a, like a good one. Not one of those like A Svackenseiver. Ah, the Svackenseiver. <laughs> <laughs> I just know like bratwurst, schnitzel, beer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What is and their which dessert? I don't think he's any of those. <laughs> yeah, but no, but somehow he's all of them all at the same time. But I like that he's like That's a pastry. <laughs> he's a pastry. Give us a German pastry, Google. What's a schnitzel from the... Zalfire. Zalfensteigenhausen. Oh, he's a spritzkuchen. A spritzkuchen. <laughs> oh, a stolen. Nah. A stolen. That's a, little, that's a little old school. I was going to say. Struzel. He's a struzel. Oh. He's a struzel. 
is a strudel. He is. We That's are perfect. All on the exact. He's a little toaster strudel. Same page. <laughs> He's a little toaster strudel. I, I like that though because I feel like he is slightly Americanized, or at least. <laughs> You know. <laughs> well, he's on an American yeah, team. He yeah, he's he's a, he's a strusel that's made by a bakery Pillsbury. in LA that's owned by an American. Yeah, <laughs> so he's a strudel. Man, I'm so glad to hear that we're all on the same page about this. I've been really kind of nervous about asking this question. Again, <laughs> we've been kind of tiptoeing around this if you listen back to old episodes, but we haven't quite breached the subject. And so uh, I'm glad that we could get into that and just kind of get past it. Yeah, I'm glad. Yeah, <laughs> man, that feels good. Yeah, it does feel good. <laughs> just a weight off our shoulders. For those that aren't watching, we're all holding hands right now. Yeah. Now that we have that out of the way, let's jump into Imola. Imola. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, that was a race. Imola. Yeah, we did have a race. It was a race and it did happen and it occurred this week. It did. Yeah. Highlights. Daniel Ricardo pushes off Carlos Sainz early on. Obviously, nobody's going to fault Daniel Ricardo because we like him. <laughs> hey, but, I like Carlos. But what's great as well. about Daniel Ricardo <laughs> afterwards, he was watching the replay. And he was like, just realized, crying, well, just weeping, <laughs> just, like, just, like, just weeping and kissing a picture of Carlos and saying, so sorry, Carlos. <laughs> well, kind of like he realized he was the one who kind of knocked him off, even yeah. though Carlos was like kind of going crazy, but it was rainy. And yeah. then he went to the Ferrari like house. Yeah. The hospitality unit. Yeah. He went to there and he like apologized to Carlos and stuff. Like, yeah, I love when drivers. Yeah can claim that they were yeah the ownership is very respectable yeah like he what he could have done is just say nothing for like the rest of the race and then after he won the race just pulled a flag of his country and do a couple <laughs> of victory laps that would have been which just as respectable he could have done that but he didn't <laughs> and uh, and ask how he was you know like uh, 10 or 12 laps later yeah, yeah. yeah but he didn't he, he went didn't. to the hospitality unit which is really nice of him yeah he sounds familiar <laughs> I think that something with Carlos and Daniel, I'm going to I'm gonna pull up a parallel here, okay? Because I think that they're kind of parallel careers. Do you, you guys agree at this point? No, I think Carlos is just two steps ahead of Daniel. He is. Because Daniel keeps following Carlos. Oh, but, right. right. <laughs> and interestingly enough, I think one thing that's been a struggle there is that Daniel was ahead of Carlos at Red Bull, which mm -hmm. Carlos never reached. And so there's some very interesting parallels between these two drivers. And I think Daniel would have killed for a Ferrari scene. And I think it would be foolish to assume that he wasn't in talks when Carlos signed the deal. Sure. Something that's really interesting about these two is when they get a clash like this, I think there is very high mutual respect. Where this one very clearly lands on Daniel's shoulders, it was interesting to see the media handle it that way. Because I'll give you the, in, the reverse perspective of how I saw it. Carlos is in the superior car for this season. It's without question. We know the Ferrari yeah. is extremely, <clears throat> extremely good. Yeah. He messed up in qualifying, which put him in a bad spot for the sprint race. Worked his way up the field, but still, because it's a sprint race, isn't going to be competing for P1 mm -hmm. unless something wild took place. So that means that Carlos starts mid-pack and ends up in turn one in a small scuffle. Yeah. This boils down to one thing. Carlos put himself there. It could have been anybody that Daniel hit. And unfortunately, he hit somebody that has had a couple of bad weeks. So from the reverse perspective, sure, it was Daniel's fault. But at the end of the day, Carlos should have been P2. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Or uh, P1. That's it's just the truth. It's a brutal truth. But <laughs> I, I like both drivers. So I mean, at the end of the day, yeah. I think I want both of them to succeed. I'd love to see Carlos pull himself out of this, but right now... Yeah, I think we all do. It's a bummer. We yeah. want to see him compete with uh, with Charles. So hopefully he does. Yeah. 
I mean, I think he can. Speaking of somebody who's been having a few bad weeks, uh, let's talk about Lewis Hamilton versus George (laughs) Russell. We've got George Russell, who has consistently been placing top five in the same car that Hamilton has been consistently placing midfield or worse. Right. What are our thoughts? Well, I mean, I think initially the first thing that comes to mind is that George did report that he is having rib cage and back pain from the, how aggressive the porpoising has been affecting him physically oh, wow. I didn't after that. a long race. And I think that that's something that, you know, we can see it on TV how bad it is. Oh with their part. Yeah. They're bearing in mind that these are, this is racing suspension. Yeah. This so is not a, this is not your rebars. Van. Right. <laughs> Welded to the chassis, right? right. Yeah, they're stiff. bouncing up and down so crazy. And taking so, so much of that impact. The equal amounts of G load, G force load that they had last year, coupled now with aggressive bouncing. Yikes. That's, you know, I'm like, the companionship is brutal. Yeah. And so Russell's complaining of some. Of pain. Yeah. And I think that's something that we can at least maybe say that these drivers are going to be pretty equal in weight comparison and some other things because they're trying to do that. Yeah, mm-hmm. Lewis has really worked hard at bulking up, becoming a little bit stronger. Mm-hmm. George has to stay super lean because he is tall, m- massive guy. He's yeah. big. And so I'm curious if there is, for some reason, some advantage that's working in George's favor and something that's not working in Lewis's favor where he's a little bit smaller guy but more bulky. Yeah. And it's just... He can't focus. He's not getting the car braking at the same time. Something's working for George. Something's not working for Lewis. But in the coverage from Sky Sports, as we've mocked in the past, it doesn't seem to address the elephant in the room, which is that George is producing results. Right. I've heard nothing but the Mercedes car is garbage. Right. They need to go back to the drawing board. But George is top five. Yeah. He's third in the championship. So what are we talking about? So what's missing here? Right. Something's super mm. wrong. Right. And, uh, you know, again, Nico Rosberg, as we, we, we've talked about, addressed it and pretty bluntly said, Lewis is responsible for the results he's delivering right now. Right. Which seems to be a reality that a lot of press, including most obviously the Sky Sports commentators who just seem to have everything to say except for, hmm, maybe Lewis is not quite the driver that we thought he was. <laughs> right. I don't think that they're ever going to question that. No, that'll never that, happen. There's, right? a lo- there's a lot of money tied up in that. Well, it's the right. same thing for people on Reddit who are just diehard Lewis fans and they can't wrap their minds around the fact that maybe like he's struggling right now. It's like they... They don't know what it's like to drive a car or win a championship or have the pressures of a racetrack or whatever. Right. Nico Rosberg does. He was Lewis's teammate. Right. He knows how a car works and how much it takes to drive a car. And that so, car. So maybe we should realize that like, oh, George is performing well in, in the car. Lewis yeah. isn't. Maybe we'll take the advice from a championship driver who has no stakes in the game to be like, something's wrong with right. Lewis. Right. And something that was interesting that I've heard brought up is the transition of era and how previous world champion may not be adapting quite as quickly because the last car was so suited to his style. Yeah. Right. So, you know, when we talk about Sebastian Vettel and we talk about his era where he dominated four seasons in a row, the car changed overnight to something that was a Mm. completely different animal. Yeah by the time he was done winning titles. Right. And 
he went to drive for Ferrari and that thing never stuck with him. It mm. never really seemed to suit his style. Now, great, tra- great champion drivers could drive anything. When we harken back to the 60s and 70s and Alain Prost and Senna and some of these guys, changing teams, still delivering championships. Yeah. So this- cars were kind of more simpler. That's true. But um, some of them were super different. Mm. So I think there is an ad- adaptation element that I'm curious to see if Lewis can overcome. One other interesting piece to the puzzle is something that resident expert Mike was painting a picture for us about, which is the true power of that Mercedes car. Can you oh, kind of yeah. dig into that about what you were telling us about? Yeah, so a few weeks ago, I found myself kind of digging through the back catalogs and listening to Beyond the Grid interviews, which I love, by the way. It's an incredible podcast. And for those of you who haven't delved into that catalog, highly recommend. But I was listening to an interview with Patty Lowe, who's an engineer for Mercedes, also worked at Williams and a, a few other teams. Patty was explaining just how powerful the Mercedes power unit was that Toto had explicitly asked him to not show how much of an advantage they had by leaving the engine turned down. And some of the F1 fans from the last decade will probably recognize terms like party mode, which was something that the FIA made illegal, which was that they, Mercedes did get caught turning the engines up only for qualifying. Oh, shoot. And then that was something that they said, you can't do that. You got to like use what you got. Oh, uh, okay. Which is almost impossible to police. Right. Anyways, the, the long and short of it is, is that Toto was so confident that the car was going to be faster and the engineers knew it as well, that they didn't want to show the full potential of the car, fearing that Ferrari or Renault or any of these other brands might actually be able to see, oh, wow, they've unlocked a huge amount of potential. We've got a long way to go. Yeah. Instead, they got them spinning their wheels, trying to catch them at the mark that they were, Yeah. which was just an insane mind game. I, I was hearing this and I was frustrated <laughs> yeah. as a fan of, a sp- of the sport that they were just that good. And just to paint the picture, this is this is this is 2016 to 2018, right? Yeah, this is this is a period when Lewis is most extremely dominant, don, extremely era. dominant, right? Which I just find to be an interesting piece to that puzzle. As we see Lewis, let's be honest, at least to this point in the season, floundering somewhat, right? Understanding the evolution of the car and the evolution of the driver might lead some Lewis fans to be a little less surprised as he doesn't quite deliver what he has been. Max has always had really great questions around this because Max and I both have, you know, we've watched a few David Letterman interview. Uh, what was that? What's that show called again? Uh, my next guest is, is that? Yeah. Yeah. The Letterman interview with Lewis was very interesting and mm-hmm. I've watched a, a lot of different documentaries and, you know, backstory things on Lewis tons of respect obviously you know i think sometimes when we question lewis it comes across as we're haters because we don't fall under this worshiping fold that exists around lewis but i think it's healthy to be able to question the greats sure you know and i think people don't go unchecked as a great and so at the moment i think there is a lot of questions that surround lewis's performance can he dig himself out of this what is it that Mercedes needs to unlock for him in the car to produce the same results as George? Yeah. Is it the car or is it Lewis? It's a good question. But here's the next part of that question. Suddenly, Lewis finds himself in a position where one driver is succeeding, and that's his teammate. And Mercedes are noticing that. 
They're going to continue to develop the car. And if that doesn't develop in the direction of what's going to suit Lewis and it will suit George, what position does that put Lewis in? Very interesting. Now, Lewis is obviously hot real estate. (laughs) He's considered the greatest of all time by many. Could Lewis find himself competing with Perez for a seat at Red Bull or Carlos at Ferrari? Or potentially, as we saw a great result from McLaren this past weekend, do we see Lewis in Papaya? Mm, Very interesting. How married to Mercedes is Lewis Hamilton beyond 2022? Right. Interesting. Um, It's from my point of view, the past year or so that I've been watching and from what I know, I don't know. It seems that the trend since Michael Schumacher retired at Ferrari or whatever, seems like the trend has been like people, a driver will come up, win a world championship with another team. Then they'll go to Ferrari because it's the dream team and they don't win anymore. Right. Right. (laughs) I see Lewis, if he wants to like get in a better car, going to Ferrari and just not winning anymore. Cause that's like (laughs) what has historically happened. where careers go to die. No way. That that guy's ego is way too big for that dude. (laughs) Yeah. So I don't know. That's an interesting question. It would be crazy to see him jump to another team because everyone knows him as Mercedes, you know? Well, yeah. and a lot of us who are those kind of early fans, we recognize him as a McLaren driver. And when the That's switch weird. to Mercedes came, it seemed out of left field. Mm. And oh, his weird. timing could not have been better mm-hmm. because Schumacher and Rosberg were building up Mercedes. Schumacher retired. Nicky Lauda convinced Lewis to come to Mercedes. And that move seemed like it was ridiculous. McLaren was doing decently. They had some struggles but Mercedes was not doing great. Mm. So the move was very risky. Interesting. And obviously we know the results. Crazy. That'd be weird. Be weird to see Lewis in that team that Lewis fans hate. Yeah. <laughs> right. Teammates. But it would be fun to watch. It'd be Lewis a, and Max oh, totally. trying to kill each other on the same team. <laughs> yeah. it's, it would, it would, it would come to blood. I mean, it really would. It, <laughs> What team principals would fight each other if they're on the same team? I mean, Christian would have a lot on his hands. Yeah. He can't face it outwards towards Toto. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like he he can't fight it with a Toto. He yeah. has to deal with it internally. Well, yeah. and Mercedes is a very Inside unique... Inside himself. <laughs> yeah. Mercedes has a very unique culture of non-blame something that doesn't really exist well, no, at Red Bull, right? You know? It's a non-blame culture inside the company. It's the blame everyone else culture. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm going to point to an exterior item and right. blame it culture. Right, right. But uh, but yeah, to that point, I just think it's interesting to even compare Red Bull to Mercedes because culturally speaking as well, Lewis has spent almost a decade with Mercedes. Imagine the shift. That would be... Yeah. A big, big change. Yeah. So, anyways, I know he's got a contract, but that's mm, formula. Haas America Racing. So, at Imola, we've got K Mac ending 10th. So, we saw a great start from him. Uh, he was able to gain a bunch of positions, but just was not able to keep those positions. What do we think? It just seems to me that he just does not have the straight line power that these other teams do. Although in the past three or four races, we have seen him keeping up. Is this specific to Imola or is this an issue with Haas power? I don't know. Mike might, might have a better idea. It might just be specific to Imola. It might be because it was a, a rainy day or whatever. I don't know enough about it, but like, I'm just hoping that it's just a one-off where it's like, okay, like 
we kind of had a slump this week. Like we'll be back up at it yeah. soon enough and like we'll be crushing it up in the, you know, the top of the pack again. Yeah. I did see a really cool video that Haas, I guess maybe Haas put it out on their Instagram, which is really cool. It was just like how Kevin Magnuson has a history of like being so close to a lot of crazy wrecks at the beginning of races, but always right. finding a way out of yeah, it. Yeah, he's great. Because he did that at Imola this yeah, week yeah. where Ricardo and... Carlos go right in front of him and he just like right around and so yeah I mean he was up ahead for a little bit but then yeah. just couldn't hold on for the whole race I feel like the narrative or at least the theme of the weekend was just unfortunately bad strategy bad tire calls yeah and just happened unfortunately just more than once and so the sprint race started off so good Kevin qualified fourth but Selected to go on the uh, on a different tire compound compared to everybody else, and just oh really drop through the order. Yeah, that's a funny thing with when it comes to wets. It, even how far into racing F one we are, when wets go on, crazy tire strategies come out. Yeah, for sure, and it's definitely like who gambles soonest and and, and gets the pick of the litter there, as far as right. you know, and you know. Daniel Ricardo was the test puppet for this. I was going to say, Daniel Ricardo was, I mean, he had a horrible start. He was at the back, but then they gave him tires and he started creeping his way up. They gave him hards and he just went right back down. Yeah. yeah. What is going on? Yeah. An experiment that didn't work. <laughs> what, was the, what was the plan here? Yeah. So, you know, to see Haas kind of struggle in this one was a little bit of a shame. And I think that they would agree that it was, uh, they deserved better this weekend, but um, sure. it just seemed like some poor decision making, some gambles on tires, some things like that have just not paid off lately. Yeah. And I think that a little bit of like restore back to normalcy, a little less risk taking and maybe going for the obvious selection since the car is that good. Yeah. Is really going to restore us back to kind of our what we're seeing in the first couple races. I mean, they've been tested. We've had a couple races. They're getting to know the car pretty well. Coming up to Miami, they might have a really good strategy going right into Miami. That's kind of fun. Yeah. Let's go Miami. Home and, race. Uh, and of course, Mick starting 10th, ending 17th. Pretty similar performance to what we've seen from him. And uh, seems like pretty similar performance from uh, the car that we saw with Kevin. Uh, that leads us directly into the question from listener Anthony Valdez. Anthony says... Love the show. Thank you, Anthony. Good. Good. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I, I want someone to write and just be like, hey, hate the show. Yeah. Will you answer my question? <laughs> I want to hear your opinion. That day is coming I'm and glad. it's going to be from Otmar. He says, how safe do we think Mick's seat is? I've seen rumblings of Oscar Piastri potentially replacing him, somebody that we've talked about on earlier episodes, including the last one. If Alonso doesn't retire soon, maybe this is overblown given Mick and Haas's Ferrari connection, in parentheses, absolutely 100% legal Ferrari connection, hashtag Otmar smokes crack, which again, <laughs> we don't know for sure, but we don't know that he doesn't smoke crack. We haven't heard a press release at least yeah. from right. Alpine yet we to and we still haven't, decline. It's, it's been a week and we still haven't heard a statement about that. But yeah. I'm glad Anthony is trying to bust that story wide open. Right. <laughs> right alongside us. <laughs> Anthony's a great He's listener. a Haas boy. Yeah, he's a great Haas he's boy. He's a true Haas boy. And closes with, but I imagine this would get louder if Mick continues to fall behind K-Mag. How safe do we think Mick's seat is? I mean, I didn't even know that, like, this guy, whoever he mentioned, Oscar, Oscar Piastri, the, the, that there was reserve like, driver. I guess it makes sense that there's tensions with, like, people waiting to get into a seat. And I forget right. that, like, 
all these drivers need to be performing all the time. Yeah. And yeah. yeah so you are never guaranteed anything, mm. <laughs> especially if you have year over year contract deals, which is part of what Botas said in his beyond the grid podcast interview was his Achilles heel at Mercedes was that they never gave him more the than drinking. a 12 month. It was the drinking. <laughs> well, coffee. <laughs> yes. Coffee, yeah. yeah. But never more than a 12 month contract ever. So it was mm. always one season. Which um, is just a great way to just draw out the best in your team, right? <laughs> right. Nothing says keep faith. Them, keep them locking their hotel doors for fear that somebody's <laughs> going to sneak in and kill them. Yeah, <laughs> take their spot. Yeah, just w- always watching their back. So here's the deal. Mick and Ferrari... Something seems like a, an asteroid would have to hit the Earth for that to not happen. Just because of how optics-driven Ferrari is. It, right. Well, and, you know, it just seems like all of us, and I think even the people at the Prancing Pony, are going to want to see Mick in a red car. Yeah. Mick's struggles currently at Haas, I think, do come from some lack of, again, some experience coming into the seat having a teammate who is a rookie, not having a lot to lean on. So I think these next few races, having Kevin, having that teammate who's going to help him grow is going to show a little bit more of his stuff. Is Mick's seat not safe though? Uh, it's It seems like a stretch to lose it, but at the end of the day, Oscar Piastri is a Formula 2 champ, a Formula 3 champ, and a very promising prospect to the sport. What's this connection with Alonzo? Because that's a whole nother team. Right. So why does that matter? So Oscar Piastri is the reserve driver for Alpine currently. Okay. Fernando is basically blocking the opportunity because Ocon isn't really going anywhere as far as what we've seen. Mm -hmm. Still delivering results. And so basically Alonzo has to announce his retirement for Piastri to move into Alpine He's growing impatient and has been very vocal in the media that he's upset that he doesn't have it yet. Oscar. Yeah. So would he go to any team or is he just saying, I want to go to Haas? No, I mean, Haas is the... Haas is a pretty decent team to try and be like, oh, there's a potential there because they're not a crazy rich team. Or linked to a billionaire where currently Alfa Romeo has a billionaire. Yeah. Aston Martin has a billionaire. Williams has a billionaire. Williams has a billionaire. So these opportunities in these seats are paying for drivers mm. who should or should not be mm. there is arguable. I mean, Vettel sounds like he's not sticking around for much longer. Potentially. Yeah. I feel like his vibe is like, I'm good. He kind of has been like, I'm not sticking around forever. He could go into Aston Martin then this guy. Vettel's position right now is we'll see how 2022 goes and then I'll make my decision based off of the progression of the team. Yeah. What are the chances that Vettel gets to the end of this year and he's like, let's give this one more fair shake. I'll go to a team that's been performing and give this a shot. There's a lot of factors at Aston right now that I think are in Vettel's way. He lost the team principal that hired him um, and he's working directly with, you know, Mike Crack, but also Lawrence Stroll and whether or not he's loving being a part of the family business there is totally up to him. But, you know, he's worked for two very different but very professional organizations that are highly accredited with a lot of success and he saw success with both. So it's uh, tricky to see where Vettel's future is, but, you know, definitely a seat that Piastri could go to if he vacated. How likely is it, do you think, if, if let's say Mick 
just continues to be at the back of the grid every race. He can't get better. How likely is it that you think he would lose that seat if he can't perform? Uh, I mean, it's it's tricky because I, th- I feel like I see Mick as a really great opportunity, a really great driver that has delivered results. Yeah, we all do. What, what are those results? It's been in the previous. In F2. Yeah, like F2 and F3. Um, and up through karting and things like that. But where I think that this is an interesting conversation is Mick straddles the line between billionaire boy and up and coming driver because he does have a lot of financial support and he also does have a, just a huge following. And that kind of clout does help elevate a driver. And Mick has same. a lot of social media followers. Mm-hmm. He's a name that's going to be talked about in the press forever. But to kind of parallel this to like NASCAR, Dale Earnhardt Jr. never really quite achieved what his dad did and something that he's comfortable discussing. Dale was inducted to the NASCAR Hall of Fame and it was something that a lot of people felt mixed feelings around. But the thing is about Dale Jr. is he was the most popular driver in NASCAR every year they voted Mm. for drivers. Right. (laughs) So it didn't matter that he wasn't delivering seven championships like his dad. He was Mm -hmm. still one of the most popular. So I feel like Mick still has a lot of value and still has a lot of opportunity. So Mick is a reserve driver for Ferrari. Correct. Could they just like take him out of the Haas seat? He's still that reserve driver and they get a better driver for Haas if that happens. I think that that's the most likely of the options we've discussed. But hopefully that doesn't happen. I am stoked to see Mick get points. I think like him being in P10 was awesome. And like he just he just needed a better race to stay up there. Like he's this close. Yeah, he's he's, so I get close. that sense too. He's super close. Yeah. And we've said this before. It's just the, an off race for everyone. Yeah, off race for everybody. And I think that to kind of parallel Carlos, to parallel some of these mental mind games that are happening in the grid and we're seeing it, a lot of these drivers feel insecure. They feel that pressure mm-hmm. that I need to deliver and I need to deliver now. Mm-hmm. I think that Mick right now is going through a little bit of that. It's just so much less public because we're so focused on Lewis and Carlos and these drivers that need to be delivering and they're not. Yeah. That we're not noticing that Mick is kind of like second season, kind of not getting his feet under him very well. I I really think that he just needs one good result to turn Mm, it around. Maybe a Gasly, Albon sort of moment for him in a team that's much more willing to develop somebody. Yeah, and respect that. And what if we saw that? What if we saw Mick sticking around with Haas and getting some wins and sticking around for some time? Yeah, I think it's definitely possible. Yeah, it'd be really cool. Thanks so much for the question, Anthony. We love getting questions from our listeners, huh, guys? Always. Oh, we just love it. Email them, Instagram them. (laughs) Instagram them, carrier pigeon them, Zoom them, snail mail them, telegraph (laughs) them. Print them on the inside of a label of a snack. Any old snack. Hostop boys. What snacks are you eating? The fortune cookies? Yeah. <laughs> I guess that could be a snack. That's a great way to get a good message. Yeah, that, like a golden ticket. Yeah, once you're done you're done with a cookie, you're done with a meal, and you're open to a great message. Yeah. DosHossBoys at gmail.com and Boys is our Instagram. That's right. We are fielding questions every week, so please send them in. Thanks, Anthony. And often the questions become a whole topic that we talk about. Yeah. And that's great. That's every awesome. Time. I love it. Yeah, I love it. Miami coming up in two weeks. 
Uh, the F1 official store launched like a merch line for F1 merch of Miami gear. And it's oh, yeah. definitely oh. taking a lot of cues from McLaren last year. Totally. It's like a football jersey that's like Formula One. I'm like, we saw this with McLaren. Man, Zach Brown is a couple steps ahead of you Dude, guys. he is. And that's why we want him to be our dad. So please, if you know Zach Brown, get in touch with him. Make sure you let him know that we want him to be the Haas boys' dad. Uh, grown men, but we do call ourselves boys. Uh, cool. I mean, I think just as a quick wrap-up, how exciting. This is going to be the first race in the U.S. this year. Yeah. But also... The beginning of a new age. We're welcoming so many more races to our country. So can't wait to delve more into this next week. We could talk a little further about some of the challenges they face locally with the judge and how they've tried to stop the race from happening. Yeah. There's so much meat there already. New tracks are always exciting because people haven't raced on them before. All the drivers are fresh, you know? Right. Clean slate. Right. We're going to do a Haas Boys deep dive into the progression of the Miami circuit next week. But for this week, it's all we've got for you. We love you. <laughs> we are with you. What? We are watching what? over you always. What? <laughs> <laughs> and so such shall it be unto you. Amen. <laughs>